Many Americans can't see the doctor of their choice. Why not? What barriers are keeping them from doing that? I'm Dwayne Lester, and in this Insight to Action, I talk with Dean Clancy, a senior policy fellow on healthcare with Americans for Prosperity. We discuss why we believe all Americans deserve to see the doctor of their choice conveniently and affordably. Dean explains why this isn't the case now and what needs to be changed to make it the reality. Here we go. Dean, this one is going to be really interesting for me because the idea of of not being able to choose the doctor of your choice is something that's kind of foreign for me because I live in a very rural community. There's only about 1,500 people in, in my town, and there's about one doctor to go between three different towns. So having a doctor of your choice, I'm like, yeah, well, I go to the doctor we have. So I mean, I suppose if I wanted, I could drive 40 minutes to a hospital or another town that's got different doctors, but I I don't. I'm happy with the doctor I have. What's stopping me if I wanted, If I mean, I guess if there were other options, luckily we have a competent doctor, so I don't need to go look for them, but what would be stopping me from choosing another doctor if I wanted to? Well, um, setting aside the rural issue, the just the geography, uh, there are a number of things in American healthcare that um, make it hard for people to see the doctor of their choice affordably and conveniently. We have the illusion of free choice of doctors in this country, and some of us you know, do have pretty good uh, choice, but most Americans uh, really don't. And um, the reason, it, the biggest reason is of the role of insurance in American healthcare. Insurance companies kind of make their money by saying, hey, we'll get you a negotiated discount on the doctor's rates and, and hospitals too. But part of the way they their leverage in those negotiations is to exclude doctors and hospitals if they are not willing to take the rates that the insurance company uh, wants to pay. And so you, uh, you end up finding that you might be in a narrow network. You've got a list of doctors and hospitals that take your insurance and everybody else, you're on, you, you know, you'd have to pay a, something like a market rate to them and it might be prohibitive for you. So, uh, and this is especially true, by the way, in the, uh, you know, Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act. If you go into one of those exchanges, those doctor and hospital networks are very narrow. Some people have to drive many miles, 100 miles or more sometimes, to get to a doctor who's on the list. And uh, that's a problem in America. It's a, it's a problem in other countries, too, where the government uh, can't fund the government-run healthcare system, so there aren't enough doctors. But usually they don't restrict who you can see, as long as you can find a doctor. Some do, like in Britain, they, you know, you got to go to your local doctor first. You're kind of assigned to a doctor or a local doctor's office. And um, so you're limited there. But in America, uh, you theoretically have choice, but it turns out you often really do not. So if I'm understanding you right, so I get I get an insurance plan. And part of this insurance plan, the, the insurance policy goes out to the doctors in the area. The doc, And they say, we'd like you to be a part of the network. We're willing to pay you this amount. 
Now, if a doctor says, I'm sorry, but my services are worth more than that, then the insurance company will say, we appreciate your time. You're not going to be part of the network. Now, as me paying for this plan, I now can choose from the doctors who have agreed to that set amount, even though the doctor that I prefer to see is not part of that. Now I'm restricted from going and seeing that doctor because they're not a part of the plan. And that's what keeps us from seeing the doctors of our choice. Am I understanding you correctly? You are exactly right. And uh, now sometimes uh, you might have a choice of plans and some of them are more open uh, and generous than others. Like let's say at work, they offer you a, uh, an HMO, a PPO, a point of service plan. These are different variations on health insurance. The HMO might be very restrictive. You must go to these doctors or we don't pay, period. The PPO might be a little more flexible. You can go outside of the network, but you're going to pay a little more out of pocket and you know that's going to be on you, but it's your choice. And by the way, most Americans will choose a PPO or PPO-like plan because it gives them a, the ability to go outside of network for a little bit more money. And then point of service might be, um, you know, basically even more flexible than that, but it might cost you a lot more in premium. So there is this variation. But what you don't see is, well, I can just pick any doctor I want and the insurance will pay for it. Now, there are plans like that. Medicare and Medicaid are what they call fee-for-service plans, and theoretically, you can pick any doctor. But oftentimes, they don't pay enough, and doctors will say, sorry, I'm just not taking those patients. So again, you find yourself limited. It turns out there's no free lunch. You have to pay doctors and hospitals, and therefore, you've got to, uh, the insurance has to pay them something like a market rate. And if they won't, then those doctors drop out. Your, your understanding is correct. Insurance is the biggest reason. There is also, if I could just sort of evolve our conversation here, there is the problem of, uh, of laws, you know, barriers to the doctors being available. This is especially true in rural areas. You know, they, they basically, uh, they say uh, nurse practitioners, uh, you know, advanced registered nurses, you have to be under the supervision of a physician, which really means you've got to pay money to a physician to be able to practice your own profession. And you have to live within a certain number of miles of that supervising physician. Well, if his office is too far from the rural area, that nurse is not going to be able to practice in the rural area. And, and, and this is a, actually a, quite a big problem in the United States. Uh, so one of the things Americans for Prosperity has been working to do is to ease those local requirements that make it hard for non-physicians to go out into uh, medically underserved areas and practice. That's another thing that makes it hard to find the medical professional of your choice. There are three things that I want to I want to get to just based off of what you said. And the first one is it seems that insurance, my first thought is, well, if you don't like, if you want to see a doctor who's not part of your insurance plan, just get different insurance. And then my brain says, well, that's not as easy as you would think, especially since most people get their insurance through their employer. And you can't just go out and say, oh, well, I'm going to go get different insurance because the doctor's over here. Is that the biggest barrier when it comes to the insurance is that most Americans get their insurance through their employer? Yeah. Once a, boy, you've really... Uh... You're, you're, uh, you're all uh, uh, hits today, uh, Dwayne. That's exactly right. 
Um, you go to your employer, you know, you get a job, your employer says, I can offer health benefits. Most employers do, not all. Uh, but usually what an employers will say is, I can only offer you one or two plans. A few Americans, and I think, Dwayne, you and I are both lucky to be in this group. We work for large employers who can, they, they're able to offer a wide uh, selection of plans. Most cannot. So most people, they only have one plan usually or two to choose from. And guess what happens? Oh, my doctor is not on the network. Rats. I'm going to have to change doctors. And that's, that's a problem that stems directly from having an employment-based uh, health care system. And so, uh, so, yeah, I mean, what do you do in that situation? Well, you just change doctors. And then if you change jobs, now you also have to change health plans, which may mean that you have to change doctors again. So what's the solution there, Dean? Ah, good thing you asked. We have a solution. And it's pretty basic. You have to enable individuals to obtain the health benefits they want without these restrictions, which means you have to allow people to get health insurance outside the workplace, if they want, with the same kind of tax treatment that employment-based insurance receives. The reason we have an employment-based health insurance system is because the federal tax code generously subsidizes employment-provided insurance. If you buy insurance online out of the phone book, as it were, you don't get that tax break. So it costs a lot more, so people tend not to do it. And um, we have an unlevel playing field. Let's level that playing field. Then people will be able to actually get the plan that has the doctor that they want. And they'll be able to keep that plan even when they change jobs. The insurance will be personal and portable. That's the vision. And what's the mechanism by which you level this playing field? Well, the simplest and we think the best at the moment is to let every American have access to a tax-free health savings account. That's basically money that's tax-free that you can spend on health care on your own. It's basically the same tax break an employer gets to give you health care going directly to you to pay for your own health care. And if you can use that money to pay for insurance premiums, by the way, currently that's not allowed with a tax-free HSA. That's one of the things we want to do to improve HSAs. Allow everyone to have one and allow them to use it to pay insurance premiums. When that happens, people will be able to get the insurance and therefore access to the doctors and hospitals they want. A lot of times when I go to the doctor, and that's, I, I'm lucky, it's not that often, but when I go, I will see the nurse practitioner because, you know, having one doctor split between three, four small towns and a hospital, he's spread pretty thin. So often getting a time with the doctor, it's, it needs to be something important. I'll go see the nurse practitioner. But you're saying the second thing that's keeping us from seeing the doctor of our choices are these laws that are very restrictive. What's is the solution there? Just getting rid of these laws. And if we do that, Aren't we inviting some some dangerous trade-offs there also? Well, you you definitely want to make sure that medical professionals, doctors and nurses, know what they're doing. You know, patients as consumers want to know that this person actually went to medical school or actually, you know, can do 
what they claim they can do. That's why you have a licensing system. But unfortunately, over the years, the these professions, and especially the physicians, have used uh, these licensing systems to shut out competition. So the doctors see nurses as com- competition, and so they've tried to put limits on them. And because what you know, there are a lot of things nurses can do that a doctor. You don't need a doctor, you know, for basic injections, for taking your temperature, and for a bunch of things. And but doctors don't want the competition, so they put the restrictions on the nurses. What we're saying is. Uh, you know, if a state says a nurse must have the following amount of training and must be able to do the following things, then that person should be able to do those things freely in the market without any impediment, without a physician having to oversee or get a payment from that nurse. And in other words, we call this practicing to the top of your license. The state can still decide where the top of your license is, and we would generally want to expand that, to expand competition and choice, but wherever it is, you should be able to practice to the top of it. If we just did that, you would see a lot more nurses in rural areas. In fact, we have studies that show this. I think it was Arizona about 20 years ago. They loosened these restrictions, and almost overnight, you saw the number of nurses in the most remote rural areas jump up like 75% or something, because the, it was just a barrier that was keeping them out. Milton, I'm glad you brought up that it's it's doctors, and I don't want to paint a bad picture of doctors. Doctors are a lot of, for the most part, out there doing their best, trying to help as many people as possible, but they're not unlike many of the other industries that we see where there's licensing involved. The people who are at the state capitals, who are at the capitals, who are advocating for restricted licensing, it's generally not the people. There aren't people out there saying we need greater restrictions on nurse practitioners. It's generally the industries that will benefit from them. The Milton Friedman was one of the first people I've read who brought this up. It isn't. It isn't the people out there complaining that that this is too dangerous. It's the people who are going to benefit from the restrictions on the industry. That's absolutely right. And by the way. Um, uh, you mentioned doctors. Uh, I mean, doctors are wonderful, and we we need them. And and res- there are restrictions on them that should be relieved. Also, the nurses will try to shut out the physicians' assistants. I mean, every group tries to shut out competition. It's just human nature. The point is, we need to rise above that. Let competition work within reasonable guardrails to protect consumers. And when we do that, prices are lower, quality is higher. People get access to the care they need when they need it. It's just a much better world. And, you know, uh, eternal vigilance is the price of liberty. We just have to keep working to remove these barriers. And uh, there's one other thing I want to make sure we we mention on this topic, Duane, if I can, and that is uh, direct primary care or DPC. This is a new option that's just come up in the last few years. It's really quite exciting Basically, it's doctors getting together, cutting out the insurance company middleman and saying, uh, you can come to us and have a monthly subscription, almost like a Netflix subscription. And with that, you get access to doctors, the doctors of your choice. And um, we'll see you, you know, we'll guarantee you that you can contact us so many times a month in person or by email or telehealth. Will uh, oftentimes they'll help you get your prescriptions, 
uh, at a discount. Um, basically, it's the old-fashioned patient goes to see doctor. There's no insurance company bureaucrat sitting there in the examining room, you know, interfering or meddling with what the doctor is doing. It's better for the patients. The doctors love it because they're spending less time on insurance company paperwork, less time trying to kind of get the appointment over with as quickly as possible. You ever notice you go to the doctor and they seem to want to get out of the room and get on to the next appointment with another patient? That's because of insurance company uh, incentives. Whereas with direct primary care, doctor can spend a lot of time with you. That's that's better for both of you. It's better health care. And so AFP has been trying to make sure that barriers are not imposed and we remove the barriers that do exist to this exciting new option for patients. What would you say to someone who's listened to what we've said so far and they come back and say, Dean, I've, I've heard what you said and it's clear to me that the biggest issue here is the greed of the insurance companies and the greed of the doctors and that's why we need single-payer health care, Medicare for all. That would allow us to see the doctors of our choice. That is a brilliant question, and you are absolutely right. If you ask Senator Bernie Sanders and the other advocates of single-payer, a one-size-fits-all government-run health system, no private insurance companies, all the doctors and nurses and hospitals basically work for the government, it's true. You do have free choice of doctors if they're willing to cover what uh, they promise, and if, you know, assuming you don't have to stand in line for it because the government hasn't adequately funded the service. That's what you see in single-payer systems around the world, is people stand in line waiting for things. In America, we would find that intolerable. You know, just some examples of what happens in single-payer. They will, uh, you know, in Canada, for example, you have to wait two months to to get um, say, an MRI or an X-ray often because they just don't have enough of the machines. So you have to wait in line just for something like that. Whereas in America, that can happen very quickly, usually. In in Canada, you might have to wait five months on average. You do have to wait five months on average to see a specialist after you've seen a general practitioner. And it's all because the government's in charge. It's a monopoly and they if you will, underfund the system. Although, how would you know what's the right amount of funding? Is because there's no market forces. And so those systems always suffer from chronic rationing in some place, somewhere, somehow. And it's just, it's the proof that central planning doesn't work. Now you're asking about, in America, we've got a system that doesn't provide true choice of doctors. Uh, wouldn't single payer be better than that? I think the answer is clearly no. I think it would actually be worse. Um, if I can give you an example from my own life, my wife uh, felt a pain in her wrist or her forearm. She was uh, felt it, and then she was playing with our grandkids, and she had a twinge, a serious twinge of pain. It was really hurting. So um, next morning, she says, "I need to have this looked at." We, so she calls up the doctor's office, who had actually looked at a pain in this area earlier and done an MRI on it, in fact, and had not been able to find anything. And um, they said, well, we could see you uh, two weeks from now. She said, no, no, this is more like an emergency. I, I need someone today, honestly. They said, oh, hold on, hold on. 
They said, well, maybe you can see uh, your doctor. Uh, I mean, you could see someone tomorrow, but it wouldn't be your doctor. It would be a different doctor. My wife was like, well, no, that's not acceptable either. You know what? I'll just go to urgent care. So we went to a local urgent care. They immediately gave her an x-ray. They said, yeah, it looks like you've got a fracture in your scaphoid bone, scaphoid bone that's in your wrist. Why don't you go uh, back to your um, your doctor and have it looked at more closely by that doctor? Well, so she called them back up and said, look, it, it's it's a fracture. And they said, okay, oh, you went to the urgent care. We have a special relationship with them. We'll squeeze you in today. We'll make it work. And so she didn't see her own doctor, but she did see a doctor that day. And it turns out it, it needed a, a splint and possibly a cast. The sh- uh, this is a long story. I apologize. The point of the story is she got everything from I feel a pain to a diagnosis and a prescription. She also had to take some steroids in one day. That's American healthcare, but she had to be her own advocate and push. The system wanted to kind of be inertial, but she was able to do it. If that had been Canada, she'd still be in pain and waiting in line for months. That's the difference between markets and government. You brought up uh, MRI machines in Canada, which made me look something up while you were talking. I was listening. I don't want you to think I wasn't listening, but uh, I was interested in, in looking this <laughs> up. Uh, there are, and this this goes, this was something I remember from when I was writing. There are more MRI machines in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, than there are in all of Canada. Wow. That, that tells you right there. That's single payer right there. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Is there anything about seeing the doctor of your choice that we need to talk about that we have? We talked about the fact that, that it's the structure of the tax code that, that encourages insurance through our, our employers. That stands in the way. It's, there are laws that are restrictive, that are, are barriers to people practicing to the top of their license. And the, the, one of the most prevalent arguments that we should have Medicare for all. You, you didn't really mention what I thought you would mention there, and that's the fact that you, you will see, maybe you did, maybe you brought it up briefly, but you will see a decrease in the number of doctors because the price controls, of course, will create shortages. And we, we see that oh. elsewhere. Yes, absolutely. That is a great point, and you're right. I did overlook that. In a system where you, you limit what the doctors can be paid, or you put too many restrictions on how they practice medicine, too many burdens. And we actually see this with our current system, uh, with insurance company paperwork and restrictions. Doctors drop out. They burn out. They say, forget it. This isn't worth it. I'd rather you know, live a happy life. And so when the number of doctors drops, as it will do in that situation, that means that you got to pay the remaining doctors even more, or they drop out. It becomes a vicious cycle. And in fact, in America, there is a serious problem of physician burnout. And uh, like the medical schools are finding, they're not having as many enrollees these days as in the past. And I think it's because they realize medicine isn't the profession it used to be. It's not as rewarding. It's not as pleasurable. It's, it, you know, and a lot of doctors are becoming salaried employees of hospitals rather than being independent business men and women. And it's just not as great a profession anymore. And that doesn't have to be that way. Uh, by removing these barriers that we've been discussing, you can increase the supply of doctors and that will make things better for doctors and patients alike.
One thing that I thought of just a little bit ago was this is another situation of, of central planning actually doing more harm to the target of the law who it's supposed to help. You know, we're, we pass Medicare for all to help the, the poorest among us, those who can't see the doctor of their choice. It will actually do more harm to them as there's a decrease in doctors available to the market, but it won't hurt those with means at all because we would probably see an increase of something that exists now, and that's medical tourism. Absolutely. You know, Canadians, many Canadians use the United States as their backup. If they can't get the care in Canada, they just cross the border and get it here. Uh, we are the escape valve for the Canadian healthcare system. Uh, so if you want a, an MRI and you're in Canada, go to Pittsburgh. Seems that the, most of the solution to this is let's get government out of the way and let's let people uh, benefit from market forces yet again that would do the most good for the most people. Amen. Thanks again to Dean Clancy for taking the time to talk to us about this issue. And if you have any questions about this or any other issue we've talked about, please send me an email at i the number 2 a at afphq.org. I'm Dwayne Lester and this has been Insight to Action. <laughs>